Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. This is a great time of the year. I've, I've got a, a, a message here. I want to bring this out. I got a message here that uh, last week, you know, we talked about the kingdom and then it finished it with the lordship of Christ. <laughs> yeah, you think so. And uh, I'm not a magician. I'm not going to do any magic here today. I'm just going to preach. I'm going to preach the word to you. We talked about the lordship of Christ, and um, and today I want to I want to talk to you about why really the big challenge that we face in really surrendering up to the lordship, and why we struggle with that very thing, and and uh, and I want to do it with a message that kind of lays into the season that we're in too. It's called Blessed and Broken. And um, I need my clicker. Is my clicker over there, Terry? Oh, Carol, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, in, this, in this message this morning, I want to I wanna begin and kind of just lay a little bit of a foundation, if you'll bear with me, and then we'll get into it. I want to talk to you about the two parts to our life, first of all, because this is important as where we're going to get to, and the message that, uh, that, that I have that God put on my heart. And then Adele came up to me just a minute ago, and uh, Lord willing, I, I wanted to share because it's just amazing to me how the flow of God works and the worship team. I, I never tell the worship team, like, do this song or do that song. They always just do the songs that are so fitting to the message. And that's just the anointing and that's the spirit of God. And we sang the song, Let Incense Arise. And I'm going to talk to you about that scent, that incense, if you will, this morning. And, uh, but not so much about the incense, but what it's encased in, okay? So we know that there's an incense, uh, something released in worship. You know, I, I was watching here, you know, and, and if you were, you know, and I, it's not that I watch people, but I watch, and the Lord just prompts me, and I, I saw uh, Lori, and, and uh, she was just kneeling here at the altar, which... To some of you, maybe if you're new here, and if you are, welcome. We're glad you're here with us. If, you're, if it's strange to you, like you come from a church that you know, nobody comes to the altar uh, because that's uh, just not maybe allowed or it's just not done. Um, Brenda was kneeling up here, and I thought about these two ladies as they were just un- unconcerned about y'all. And just worshiping God. And, 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 and the reason they could do that is because of what God has done in them. And what God is doing in them. It's not because they're like so holy that, and they don't give off that holier than thou thing. It's just they're going after God. And they're going after God in, a, in, in and through the very uh, struggle. You don't know, you do not know what God has brought them ladies through. You don't even know what they're facing right now. 
And before you judge and say, well, you know, why would they be kneeling in the altar? Maybe what you should do is ask God for the kind of heart that would ignore everything that's going on around you so you could go into the presence of God and just worship him supremely and honor him unconcerned about the people around you. And that's kind of where I want to uh, get to today because we're going we're gonna to see it in the struggle that we have because I know it's in everyone's heart. God created us to worship. It's in every one of your hearts to worship. It's, it is innate. It is a part of your nature. It is a part of your creative purpose to worship God. No person was created without the capacity or the desire to worship God. It's just in you. And I know, I know we, we can twist it up and people get off in all kinds of weird pursuits in that. But, but really, if you, and again, put aside your religious mind and your self-righteousness and realize that's just the cry of man reaching out for God. Yeah, it may be wrong. It may be in some falsehood. It, it may be that they've been taught wrong. It may be that they just believe wrong. But the thing is, there's something in them crying out for God. And Jesus didn't freak out when people were doing things wrong, he just came to introduce to them that, hey, I am the way, and I love, I love you, and I'm going to help you get this right. That's, you know, this isn't, a, this isn't about winning religious arguments. Should you do it this way or should you do it that way? Should you do it with a, with a, a guitars and a, and a bass and drums or should you do it with no music at all? People get all hung up on all the religious stuff. I want to tell you something. Jesus doesn't care what you do. It's that you do it. And even, listen, I'm going to blow some of your religious minds right now, because even if you're doing it wrong, he does not mind. You say, Pastor Mike, what are you talking about? I'm saying that some some people are so self-assured in what they're doing, they've stopped really going after God, and they are just in a place where they're just comfortable. But what if you are jacked up? But at least you're running after God. I would rather be the jacked up person running after God than the smug religious person who's went to sleep. Have I told y'all I love you? Because I really do. But you see, I'm, I'm trying to knock the religious stuffing out of some of us. Because you see, what if this was your last Sunday to worship God? What if between now and next Sunday, God calls your number? Would you be able to walk into the presence of God and say, Lord, I gave it all. I laid it all there. I gave it all to you. I've worshiped you with all I am and all I hope to be. I get it all. Or would you say, Lord, could I just have one more Sunday? Could I just have one more worship service? Could I just have one more chance, Lord? Lord, don't, please, would you give me one more shot? Would that be what you'd say? Man, and don't think it couldn't have happened. Because you don't know the day nor the hour. And so we're in this place, and I want to talk to you about the struggle. I'm not going to deny the struggle. We're just going to embrace the fact that there's a struggle and help God help us. God speak to us about how to navigate through this in order to walk into what you called us to. 
There's two parts to our life. There's the inward man. You should write these things down. This is really good stuff. This goes way back when I was teaching uh, uh, the spiritual man a decade ago, more than a decade ago. And we went through this study called the spiritual man for over two years. We went through this study when, on Wednesday nights. And, um, and, had, and, and, and people just uh, took this journey with me and this is where all of this came out from. And, 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 and it's, you know, and here's the thing. See, God's been waking up things in me that, that have been there and they've been, I, I kind of I let them go, I kind of let them go dormant. And God's been challenging me to get back on what, get back on what I gave you and, and run with it. Because if it was good then, it's still good now. It's like, oh, the church has moved on. Really, has the church moved on beyond the truths of God's word? No, we'll never get beyond the word of God. And, I, and, and yet we're looking for the latest fad or the thing that we can kind of make the word of God relevant. I don't think you have to make the word of God relevant. Just read it. <laughs> oh, uh, I got to get going. <laughs> So there's this inward man. This is, this is scriptural. This is a scriptural phrase. That's, that's why I'm using the word inward man. You could call it all kinds of things, but here's what the Bible calls it. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Paul's talking in Romans chapter 7, and he talks about, about the struggle that he was having between, his, between this inward man and an outward man. And so that's where this comes. So he says, I delight. Now listen to this. I delight in the law of God. Now he's talking about God's law in the, in the sense of not just the Ten Commandments, but I delight in what God's word and what God's principles are. I delight. I have a delight in it. I love the word of God is what he's saying. I, my inner man loves the word of God, but I want to tell you something. My outer man, he don't like it so much because right. it always is putting me in a tight place. It's going to get real quiet in here today before we go. I'll just, just get ready because I'm going to be really honest with you because a lot of us say, well, I just love the Bible. But if, but if, if we are really loving the word of God, then what we're letting the word of God is penetrate our inward man in order to transform our outer man. Because if the inner man does not have the strength to rise above the outer man, we will always limit and constrict the word and the power of the word of God based on our soulishness. In other words, it wouldn't be awful if God could only do what, I, what I'm able to think? No, think about it. Think about what I'm trying to do, you will think. That's the 70s, I'm sorry. See, that's, that's my mind. My mind. So think, think about this. The Word of God, He says, my thoughts are higher. Yes, yes, yes. The Bible says that he is able to do exceedingly above all that you're able to ask or even think. 
Some of you are like, you are like thinking really too hard. Everybody over here go like this. Because y'all are just thinking like, I, I know I can do this. And you're thinking and you're thinking and you're thinking. What you need to do is figure out how to let the inward man that's inside you grab a hold of the spirit of God and the word of God, which God plants in you to accomplish what God needs to get through you so he can give you what he paid for to you. That's, let's go. So the inward man, according to Ephesians 3.16 says, I love this prayer in Ephesians 3. I pray it all the time. I open the Bible and I say, God, that you would grant to me according to the riches of your glory, that I would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So now you see there's two, there's two facets of this that's really important, that God is trying to grant the riches of his glory and the strengthening of his spirit, the strengthening. The strengthening of God's spirit is to be made manifest in your inner man, which is your human spirit. Because when God created you, he created you with a spirit. Well, let me say it this way. He didn't just create you with a spirit. You are a spirit. We'll, we'll see that as we go along. Again, we're just laying a foundation here. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now here's the outward man. Now stay with me here. Don't get ahead of me. Stay with me. So no wonder we don't give up. This is 2 Corinthians 4.16. So no wonder we don't give up, for even though our outer person gradually wears out. I'm 63 in one week. And the outer man inevitably wears out. Have you looked in a mirror lately? But we don't give up because we see the outer person gradually wearing out. Because I want to tell you something right now. Look at what this says. Our inner being is renewed every single day. My inner man is so alive and so and so energized right now. I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm 25 years old in my spirit. I wish my body would catch up. (laughs) <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. So he, look, he says the outer man, this is in the, in the, in the King James, it says, so even though the outer man is perishing, that's how it's worded, our inner man is renewed every single day. Now the outward man here is the soul. And the soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and emotions. That's what this outward man is here that Paul's talking about. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. The inward man is the spirit of man that God puts in us when we were born. It's, every one of us have been given a spirit. Now that spirit is dead according to scripture because of our trespasses and our sins. We're born into death 
By, by one man's sin, listen to this, this is what Paul said in Romans 6, by one man's sin, death entered into the world. Death, how, how did it enter into the world? Death here is a separation. How when, God, when Adam sinned and the Lord said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die, it didn't mean he ceased to exist. That's, we think of death as you cease to exist. Death just means you, you, it's, a tr it's a change. It's a separation. For he, Paul said, as the body without the spirit is dead. In other words, at death, your spirit leaves your body and your body is, goes back to the earth from whence it came. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. God made Adam's body out of the dust. Out of the earth. But it was when God breathed into man... You with me? It was when God breathed into man that man became a living soul. So when God gave man a spirit, it touched his body, and out from that came a soul, too. The soul, the mind, will, and emotion. So now man is a tripartite person, which simply means that's a fancy word for three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. Everybody, everybody still with me? Okay. So... Man is a spirit who has, uh, who has a soul but lives in a body. That's man is a spirit. And notice I got a, a small s there. You're not, you are not the big s spirit. You're a little s spirit. Here's what happens though. John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, Master, what do I do to receive eternal life? Jesus' answer to him in John 3, 3 was, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, and again, this is, now this is out of the Passion Translation, which I've been reading a lot of the New Testament out of, just going at it because it's, but I also always go back, you know, to what I memorized all these verses in, and he, and he said this, he said, you know, he said, Except a person be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's how it says it in the King James. So listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm. See, why? Because the kingdom is a spiritual realm. So in order for you to perceive a spiritual realm, you have to have spiritual life imparted to you. So that's what happens in the new birth. When God births you again or you're born again, he recreates or regenerates your human spirit, and all of a sudden your eyes are open to a whole new spiritual world. How many of you remember that? How many remember? I don't care if it's been 30 years ago. For me, it's been a long time ago. I had no, I had no awareness of a spiritual realm. But all of a sudden, when I got born again, my eyes were open to this whole spiritual realm. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And I went around telling everybody, hey, you need to open your eyes and see the kingdom of God because this is pretty awesome. And they looked at me like I'd fallen out of a tree. Why? Because... Until you're born again, you can't perceive it. So that's what, what our, you know, what we're, what we, here's the thing too, a lot of people want to figure it out and then decide, you know, whether they're going to believe it or not. Here's what you have to do. You got to believe it, receive it, and then it'll all make sense to you. But here's how the mind works. The mind says, well, I got to, I got to be able to wrap my mind around it. 
It's impossible to wrap your mind around God. God cannot be contained in your thoughts. And so here's what he says. He says, the, the, the man is a spirit who has a soul but lives in a body. That's, that is our life. Man is a spirit. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. Of course, Nicodemus goes, well, how can I go into my mother's womb and get born again? Jesus said, I'm not saying you got to go back into your mother's womb. He says, I'm telling you whatever is born of the water is water, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. For the spirit blows where it listeth, so doth the spirit of God. And so what he's saying is, God is running throughout the whole earth, and he's trying to breathe regenerative life into all of, all of creation. The call is still today, you must be born again. Because you can be religious and you'll miss the kingdom. You can be religious and not know God. That's weird, Pastor Mike, because I thought religion's purpose was to show us God. No, religion's purpose is generally man-centered because it came from man and it only can relate to man. But the kingdom of God comes from God and it can only be understood by someone who's born of God and walking in God. Whew. That's really good stuff right there. So here, here's the great challenge. Now, stay with me because we're, we're about to get with it here. Our calling is to walk in and allow the full release of our spirit with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the whole of the call of God for you and I. It's to walk in the spirit, as Paul says. That Jesus said that you must, you must uh, be filled with the Holy Don't tarry here till you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled means to be controlled by. I want to just say something here about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's when your spirit is submitted to him. That's when your spirit is completely surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to make anybody mad, but I don't care how much you talk in tongues. If you're not surrendered to God, you're, you're, you're missing it. And so the, our calling is to walk in and allow the full release of our spirit with the Holy Spirit. See, we think our problem is people. How many of you think your problem is people? Our problem is not people, it's us. It's our inability to yield to the Spirit of God. And we think our problem is because people do this and people did that and people keep doing this and people are going to keep doing that. But the problem is, are you going to yield to God and release the Spirit of God that's inside you through your spirit to come out through your outer man so your soul, your mind, your will and emotions is under the full control of the Holy Spirit so you don't get your little feelings hurt on every little occasion and say, I can't do this, but your spirit is released and you realize God is doing something. Hallelujah. And now I've got an opportunity to see God rise up in this situation. I've got an opportunity to see God be Lord over this part of my life. I have an opportunity to see God come forth and me to come back. Come on. Come on. You like the coming back thing? 
Because generally what we do is we come forward and we say, you know what? Two can play at this game. So here we go. (laughs) Our calling is to walk in and allow the full release of our spirit with the Holy Spirit. The difficulty is the failure of the inner man to break through the outer man. So you have this, you have this, listen, as believers, we can have God on the inside, but God cannot break out because your mind, your will, and emotions has so constrained and constricted him that it's all you and none of him. Let me go over here. Y'all look friendlier. So it can be so that you can live your life in such a way that God is on the inside of you. I'm not questioning your salvation. That your spirit has been quickened and made alive, but your spirit is shrouded in your soul, and you're still thinking your thoughts, still wanting your way, and still feeling your feelings and putting those feelings above God. Was that, was that too rough? <laughs> was that too rough? Is that because is that y'all convicted or what? Y'all looking at me. So here's the thing. If your spirit that God gave you, your little S spirit, is for the primary purpose of God consciousness. See, it's, it's how you know God. Are you with me? Your spirit is how you know God. And your soul is self-consciousness. It's your self-awareness. Your mind, your will, and emotions gives you self-awareness. The soul part of you is is the part that Paul writes about like in Romans 12 and he says, he says, I beg you therefore, brethren, I beseech you, is how it says in the King James, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present, you yield. Everybody say yield. Yield. See, that's what you have to do with your soul. You have to yield it to God. God doesn't take it from you. You have to give it up. The soul side of you is your self-consciousness, your mind, your will, and emotions. Paul said in Romans 12, I beseech you that you yield yourselves and present yourselves unto God a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Your spirit is holy. Can I just tell you, your spirit is holy. The The God side of you is holy. The soul side of you, not so much. And it's all based on how you're transformed. Remember, he says, and be ye transformed. The word transformed in the Greek is metamorphu, where we get our English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is how something changes. When you got born again, your spirit got quickened, but your mind, will, and emotions did not. I'm trying to help some people right here. Listen to me, especially you young believers. 
A lot of the time the devil too beats your brains out because you think, well, if I was saved, I wouldn't think that. Well, that's the challenge because now that you're saved, you didn't even think about what you were thinking before you got to Jesus. Now all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, where'd that thought come from? I remember my grandpa told me one time, he said, he said, Mike, he said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in it. I thought, what's that mean? <laughs> now I understand. Because these thoughts can take lodging in your head. And here's the thing. Who, how do you think Satan is tearing people down? He, he masquerades in your own thoughts. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My spirit is generated. Can I tell you something else? My spirit is perfect before God. My soul, not so much. <laughs> if, if, this, if my soul, if my mind and my will and emotions is perfect, we're all in trouble. Because I had a few bad thoughts even this morning. Yeah, I thought... What if they don't like this? What if they, what if, what if they don't get this? What if, what if they all get up and walk out? Where do you think that comes from? It comes from people getting up and walking out, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I've been around a long time. I've had that. Anyway. You see, this is why we're doing Sunday nights. Because it's, listen, here's, a, this, here's the statement of the whole crux of the whole thing. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while being emotionally immature. And the reason some of you have trouble flowing in the things of God is because it's impossible to flow in the things of God and be emotionally broken. Because somehow in your brokenness, you will miss God. Aren't you all with me? And so listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you follow me here, is that our soul is our self-consciousness. Let me ask you a question, just can you be honest, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, just a question for you to ponder, think about. How many of you are more self-conscious than God-conscious? God wants to use you, and what's your first thought? I can't do that. You know why? Because you're thinking about you. I want to use you today. I want you to go over and pray for that person. Oh, I can't do that. I'll be embarrassed. What do you mean you'll be embarrassed? What if they don't get healed? He didn't ask you for your opinion. He just said, do this. I want you to give that person a word. That person's really going. I'm gonna, and God will even tell you some things and speak to you about them. And you say, oh my gosh, I can't say that. Why? I can't embarrass them. But you may be holding the key to their, to their release. You're holding the key to their breakthrough. And while, you're, while God put his hand on you as a, as a, as a weapon of deliverance, 
You were so over-concerned about yourself and how it related to you that God then said, well, okay, I'm going to go on to this person. You know, I have been in meetings where God skipped three or four people before he could find one yielded person. And so the, the spirit is God conscious, the soul is self conscious. Now, there is a third aspect of this, and that's your body. You notice how your spirit wears, listen to me, this is like clothing. So think about it like this your spirit wears your soul and body. Your, your spirit wears your soul and body. So, in other words, you know, because we're spirit, the only thing, the only way we can express what God is and what he's doing is through our soul and our body. That's why, listen to me, don't ever, don't ever apologize for your tears. When God touches your spirit and tears start flowing, don't ever apologize for your tears. Because God is touching you and, he, and the spirit is wearing your emotions. And I was, in a, I was in a meeting one time and this person, I mean, this person began to weep. I'm, and it was, no, it was more than weeping. They began to sob. And it made a lot of people very uncomfortable because they thought, well, who is this crazy person coming to church and sobbing? And you could, it was like the spirit of God just sat on this sobbing and the service went on, came to a close and someone came up to me afterwards and said, I got to tell you something. I came in here so hard and so bitter and so full of unforgiveness and when that person started sobbing, I heard the Spirit of God through their sobbing, and it broke me. Your spirit wears your soul, and then sometimes your spirit says, hey, get your body over here. Hey, lazy, get up and get to the prayer meeting. Uh, he don't call you lazy. He should, but... I would. He'll prompt you and say, hey, why don't you, go, why, don't you, why don't you help this person? Why don't you give this person a call? Why don't you drop in and say hi and buy this person some groceries? Why don't you, hey, why don't you, why don't you go home and apologize to your wife? Uh -oh. oh, that can't be God. <laughs> Get behind me, devil. Why don't you go have lunch with this person who you feel that there's a wall because I want to do something to tear down this thing and I want to bring healing. Oh. And so your, your spirit will prompt your body to, to do something. Your body is made up of your five senses, your sight, your touch, your taste, your smell. Uh, did I get them all? Yeah. So the five senses, we have, your body, how, how, what does that do? It gives you world consciousness. It's how, I, it's how I navigate in the world, through my five senses. But doesn't the Bible say we're not to walk by sight? We're supposed to walk by a higher calling, by a higher thing, by the higher spirit of God that's, that's working in our spirit, because that's where faith lives, is in your spirit. 
Faith doesn't live in your mind. Your mind will tell you, oh, you have made a mess this time. You stepped out and you did this and, you, oh, you did it now. Your, your mind will tell you, you are a fool. You have showed out now and I'm going to embarrass you in front of everybody. But your spirit says, I know I heard from God and I'm going to do what God says. And you can just get out of my way because I'm not giving up or giving anything back to you, devil. I know what God said and you hold on. And sometimes it takes time. It took Abraham 25 years of fighting his brain. He had arguments with God. Y'all ever had an argument with God? Get honest. God, I'm, tw- God, I'm 99 years old and I'm childless. And you said, and people go, well, man, Abraham, how do you talk to God like that? That's, that's Abraham opening up his heart to get some awareness of where God was. And God says, look, Abraham, I said it, I'll do it. And, when his, and his wife laughed. <laughs> and then went home and got pregnant. And it wasn't supernatural. Well, figure it out. It was, well, it was a miracle (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I got to move on. I'll I'll do, I'll say something I have to repent for. (laughs) But you see, your body, your body has five senses. It gives you world consciousness. Let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you feel like at times you've been more world conscious than God conscious? I can't see it. I can't feel it. I can't taste it. I can't hear it. So it can't be true. And so you see, that's that's the challenge right there, is the failure of the inner man to break through the outer man. The real need. Now this is this let's let's go a little further. The real need, the fundamental need of every believer is not more power. I've been guilty of this. I've said these things. I've even preached these things. We need more power. We need more power. We do not need more power. What we need is more brokenness. Because it's the fact that God's power is residing on the inside of you, but it can't break out because it is shrouded by your outer man. Think about it. Would, would, would it be fair? Would we say God was being fair if he had given someone more, uh, more of the anointing, more of the Holy Spirit than he gave us? Do you think God operates that way? He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He gives the Holy Spirit to us who ask him. What father gives his son a stone when he asks for bread? We ask God, we say, God, I need more power. I need more power. I submit to you that until you're broken, all the power in heaven will not help you until you break the outer man. (laughs) 
I'm scared. <laughs> because some of us, I can hear people saying, Pastor Mike, mm, that's, that's, that's really borderline right there. Now listen to me. You can, not, you can have all the power that heaven has to offer, but until you are broken, that power cannot be manifest. Oh God, I need more power. God says you need more brokenness. Okay, God, break me. Oh wait, God, I didn't pray for that. The first slightest discomfort, the first test, the first thing, something comes against us, and we say, okay, God, that's enough of that. I can't handle this. And God says, don't you understand it's through this brokenness that I'm going to show you my power. See, the church isn't looking for brokenness. Here's another reason I know it's all about us, because when we do ask for power, why do we want that power? To validate ourselves God give us power make this church famous God do this because I want this church to be famous and all the while Jesus is over in the corner going wow I thought this was all about me God give me more power I want my ministry to touch millions Hmm. would you be content to bring back one life Just one who I have called you to speak into, who will in turn change the world. Could you do that? Oh, no, God, I want millions. But see, that's why I'm having all the power. What good would all the power in the world do you if you're only going to use it selfishly and for your own ends? The Lord, this is, this is, the Lord is near. This is Psalm 34, 18, 19. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Nobody wants a broken heart. Nobody asks God for a broken heart. But isn't it interesting? We're all going to have our hearts broken. I didn't ask when I was in my 20s to have to walk through us a situation with my monetary son who died at three years old of leukemia. I didn't ask for that. But I guarantee you, God used it to break an outer man. I've been in the breaking for a long time. I've been in that breaking thing. It says the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Get it? The Lord is near. The Lord is very near. The Lord is in. The Lord, listen to me, the Lord is in your brokenness. I have to say this, church, you have to understand this, because we don't, we don't have a theology for this, because in our, our hyper-faithism and everything, we're like, oh, no, this, nothing's supposed to happen like that to a believer. But I'm telling you, Jesus told us that we were going to experience trouble, trials, tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That doesn't mean he's, you're always going to see it all work out always the way that you want it to. It just 
means everything you go through, he's going to go through with you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to walk in you. You are never going to be alone. You heard the Lord say it this morning. The Lord puts you on the potter's wheel, and then he pressures you and shapes you, and you have to stop saying, ouch, Lord, that hurts. I can't take it. Some of you jumped off the wheel. Give it to him, Adele. This is what the Lord spoke to her this morning. So when we were singing, um, we gave you all the glory. I was just had my eyes closed and I was worshiping, and immediate, immediately the Lord gave me a vision, and I saw the Potter's wheel. It just makes me want to cry because I had no idea any of that was going on. But He showed me the Potter's wheel. And how he, the, the potter's wheel is turning around, but the pot, the vessel, was over here. And the vessel was cracked. It had holes in it. And they were, people are trying to pour into that pot that is cracked and broken the things of the world or the things they think are going to work, pouring it into that broken vessel. When the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I want my people back on the wheel. Because I can shape and I can mold and I can clean up that vessel to my liking. And it's so true. I, I, I went to pastor and I'm like, man, I don't know that this fits now. But I felt this so strong that we like to take ourselves off. And do it our way. When the Lord says, just get on that wheel and let me do it my way. And all the cracks that you've created from the things of the world, I'll shape them, I'll reform them, I'll make you into that vessel that I want you to be. And then I will fill you with me. And not all the other stuff. Not all the other things that leak out of you, but I will fill you with me. And it won't leak out. Thank you, Lord. So you see, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. So if you're here today, maybe you've lost a loved one that's really shaken you. Maybe your marriage you lost. Maybe you lost a son, a daughter. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a position. Maybe you lost something and, and, and you're feeling like, you know, like, why, God? What? What is good? Because it, the temptation is to feel like, like things are out of control. But remember what I told you last week? G Jesus is what? Lord. He's maximum authority. He's still on the throne. He was on the throne the day my son closed his eyes and breathed his last breath on this earth. He didn't move. Yes, I got shaken. It shook me really hard. You ever, you ever got any medicine? And on the bottle, I, I got some prescription stuff once. I, got, I, was down, I was down in Florida. I was visiting my daughter a couple years ago. Um, it was just me and Jelly, and we went down, and I was sick when I left. And by the time I got there, I was, whew, I was really sick. And I ended up in the emergency room. I couldn't breathe. And, and they gave me some uh, albuterol treatments and everything. And, you know, and 
got me, it was bronchitis and, you know, all this stuff was going on. And the whole week I was there, I was just struggling. They gave me this prescription along with it. And I, and I remember taking this prescription. It was like, it was some kind of cough syrup. And here's what it said on the bottle. Shake well before using. Can I just tell you something? Before God can use you. Yeah, before God's ever going to use you the way that you want to be used, you're going to be shaken. God saves such as have a contrite spirit. A contrite spirit is the twin to brokenness. Bro- contrition, is, contrition is like true repentance. It's not being, it's not being sorry because you got caught. It's you realize what's at stake and your heart is so toward God that you're just broken and, and, and the brokenness leads to contrition. It leads to a full repentance, in other words. We've, we've so misused that word, repentance, that, that, but that's the Old Testament uh, sense of repentance is contrite, being contrite. I, 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 don't, I don't see much contrition or brokenness among God's people today, we're arrogant and we're proud and we're stubborn and we're self-willed. And he says, the Lord saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. God has a deliverance, but it may not always be the path that you think. It may not always be the way that you think and how you think. But the Lord got us through that time of our life, and I've been through many more shakings ever since. And I realize what God's trying to do is bring something out of me, and I keep trying to move off the wheel. I keep trying to say, God, that hurts. God, do you know what you're doing? God, go work with them a little while. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. The word despise means to take lightly. God doesn't take lightly the broken and contrite heart. God uses broken things. Only broken soil produces. Only broken clouds rain. Only broken seed brings forth much fruit. Only broken bread feeds the weak. Only broken people bring forth God's power and God's glory. Only broken people got, got, have God working in and out from them because the excellency of the power is not of us, it's of God. We're all like common clay jars. This is the verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of the power will be seen as God's and not ours. I got to move along. I want to take a minute here and I want to go to, if you have a Bible, you want to write this down, go to Luke chapter 7. 
This morning I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about a, a broken woman. It's a broken woman that Jesus said would be talked about forever. We don't even know her name here. I know some are going to, some are going to say that, you know, some, I've, believe me, I've studied this. There's four different accounts of, of a couple of different anointings for Jesus. And there, and I, if you put them all into one, there's, there's just no way that works from a, from a, you know, from a biblical accuracy perspective, because in John chapter 12, for example, it says specifically it was Mary and Martha, and that Mary was a good Mary. I mean, she was, you know, she was a friend of Jesus's. But this person here, it says, afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. So this, this was, uh, this was a, a Pharisee, is what it says in the King James, a Pharisee named Simon. Of course, there was, Simon was a common name. There's at least 11 Simons in the New Testament. You understand that? So we don't know exactly which Simon. We just know that his name was Simon. It's like the name John. There's like tons of John. Mike, there's tons of Mikes. But here's Simon. And he asked, he invited Jesus to his home for dinner, which was interesting because this actually broke a lot of rules because this was a public gathering and rabbis or Jew, Jewish leaders, one of the rules of the synagogue was that Jewish leaders didn't mingle with the common people. They also didn't allow women in their presence in the intimacy of their, of their thing. And Jesus it takes his invitation Jesus accepted the invitation, and when he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. And actually, we know in the Middle East, it wasn't like us, like you're sitting at tables and everything. Actually, uh, one translation says he reclined on the floor because, you know, if you've ever seen some of the films and the culture, culture of the Middle East is they sat on carpets and they, rec and they actually reclined, and, and, and it was a very relaxed atmosphere. And, and, but Jesus took his place, and, and he re, let's say he reclined or took his place. Again, I'm not here to argue, you know, theology of, or the details, but just trying to give you a picture of what's taking place. So he walks in a Pharisee's house. Now Jesus has broke himself rules because he was considered a rabbi, and now he's eating in, in, a, in the home of a, of a Pharisee in a mixed crowd, and... So Jesus is already scorned, and this just increases the agitation of a lot of people. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets. Now, this, is, this identifies this woman. In one, uh, in one translation, it just says she was a prostitute. It doesn't mince any words. It just says she was a, she was a prostitute. It was known to all. How would that happen? Because prostitutes not only had, you know, the, 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 that shame hung on them, but they, they were marked by a certain kind of dress. 
you know, it was kind of a, uh, I've been doing, <laughs> I went and read a lot about prostitution in Bible times, just trying to study for, for this too, because I was like curious, it's like how, how could she be known to all, or wait, maybe all the men have bought her at least once. And the very men who are looking down their nose at this woman are the very men who are selling her and treating her like a, like a piece of, of material or just a thing to be used. And then, the, then they judge her for her, her character. Maybe that's how they knew. Or maybe they knew because she dressed the garb. She had been in that area. One commentator that I read said this was not in Bethany like John 12, that this was in Magdala. And that this possibly was Mary Magdalene. It just doesn't say, so that's just conjecture. Remember Mary Magdalene? We preached about her last week. She was traveling with Jesus. Why? Because she was the one Jesus had cast out seven devils. Because Jesus saw her for her worth and saw the creative power of God to change her life and take her out of where she was and put her into the very heart and soul and purpose of God. And so Jesus brought truth and freedom to her and set her free. And she... Here's about Jesus being in Simon's house. And she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster. You see, alabaster is the, is the word for stone. It was just a stone flax. It could have been something really fancy, but I also read in, in my studies that how how prostitutes, because of, you know, in those days, hygiene was weak. People stunk. I mean, you're in an arid climate, right? And so part of what prostitutes would do is they would, they would wear a flask around them, which again would mark them because as a part of their service, they would oil, they would oil and you would oil down. Because of the stink. Is that too much? This is just real. Can I just tell you that a lot of, a lot of ways we've been living our lives just stink? I'm not talking just to the prostitutes here because, because that may not apply to you. But let me tell you, there are people, uh, while you've never turned a trick in your life, you've sold out. And we all have, I've sold out, I sold out in my life, I did a lot of things I'm not proud of. I carried shame for a good portion of my life until I met the master. I carried shame for the things I had done, for the person I was, and for the, for the things that had, that had so taken control of my life. See, I wanted to be a better person, but I just couldn't seem to find that. But this woman, she, she hears Jesus is in Simon's house and she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster and it's filled it with the most expensive perfume. And she went right into the home of the religious, Jewish religious leader. This is kind of bold right here. 
She went right into the home. She didn't knock. She didn't ask for permission. She walked right in because, again, traditionally, when these things would go on, your, your tradition was you always left your door open to entertain strangers unaware. Can I just say, too, while I'm here, some of you need to unlock your doors. Because the Lord's got some things he wants to bring to entertain your life. And I don't mean entertain in the sense that God's got some angelic manifestations, some miracles, things that he wants to do, but you got your, the doors of your life are so shut up. You're thinking you're keeping God out. This woman hears Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. She walks right in, the doors open, the crowds around, dinner's probably in process. They're maybe they're, they're in the appetizer. I don't know. It doesn't say, but she took a flask. She took it off. And was filled with the most expensive thing. And she knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. In front of all the guests. Here's a woman who, who had given up. Self-respect, everything. She was, she, she was a person who had carried shame all of her life. Because here's the thing about prostitutes in, in those times is they weren't even considered to be humans. They didn't have any rights. They had, no, they, had no, they had no privileges. They were just considered to be scum. Most all the prostitutes were slaves. I read in, I read in uh, Bennett's commentary that, uh, the, that a prostitute cost the same as a loaf of bread. That was their esteem and Respect and not that, not to be better if they paid more. But you understand, I'm trying to tell you this. This this woman had, she had already had. A, she, what did she have to lose? And she walks right in, and she gets down at meals at the feet of Jesus in front of the guests, broken and weeping. Broken and weeping. Who, who, she's broken and weeping. She's broken and weeping. She's able to fight through any guilt, any shame, anything that the enemy had tried to encase. She had lived all of her life encased, encased in the hardness to, because if you're going to live that life, you know that's what you have to do. You have to, you have to grow a hard outer shell because life is tough and people mistreat you and people will walk all over you. And so you develop this protective shell. And this is how many of us are. We've been walked on just enough that we've hardened our hearts and we're, we say, I'll never let anybody do me like that. She's broken and weeping. Why? Because this is the Jesus that cast out devils. This is the Jesus that took her in her sin, took her just like she was. He didn't look down at his nose. He was the Lord of, he was the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he was going to release and did release into her life complete restoration, complete forgiveness to bring her back to the house of God, to bring her back to a relationship with God, to bring her back to the heart of worship, to bring her back to where she didn't care who was around her and what they were doing. Because it didn't matter. Because see, when Jesus 
went into Simon's house, he was a Pharisee. He knew the customs. He knew the custom was that you should wash your guest's feet, but he didn't wash her feet or wash his feet. He knew the custom was to anoint him with oil, but he didn't anoint Jesus with oil. He didn't, he didn't kiss him. That was a customary thing when you entered into the house is you kiss your guests. Even in, like the Bible says, you greet one another with the Holy. I'm not suggesting we start anything new here, but I'm telling you that, 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 that the, again, Simon is watching all this and seeing this, and, 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 and she kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask. Now, when it, some translations say here, I, I, I could not practice this. I don't know how this is going to work. And we may need to call 9-1 and hold the one. Because I may need a doctor. See, I'm sure she probably kept a little personal protection close by because of the nature of her work. Because it doesn't say how she did it, but, it, but she broke open, in one translation, she broke open the jar. Got a good one. Of expensive perfume, it broke open. You know why she didn't open it? It probably had a cork in it just like this one did. Do you know why she didn't? Do you know what? The Lord just, man, this, this blessed me. She didn't just open it. She broke it. Because remember, this was worn as an identity. This was worn as a shame around her neck to let others know and everyone else know who she was and what she was. But when she said, I'm going to do this for Jesus, and I'm going I'm to worship him and give him my all, and I'm going I'm to pour out the praise that he's worthy of. I don't know why I should probably put this down. When she opened this and and she broke it like that, what she was saying is, this part of my life is over. This part of me, this identity is gone. I have met the master. I have met the one who has healed me, delivered me, and set me free. And this is not going to be refilled. This is not going to be brought back. I'm going to pour it all out for him. And that part of my life is over so I can get to the newness that God has, has destined for me because I am no longer that person. I've got no guilt. I've got no shame. There's no condemnation. I am a new creature, and I'm going to let this life be lived. And so get this, as the room fills, she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. See, all it takes, all it really takes is one person, all it takes is one person to worship God. All it takes is one person 
to come before him broken and weeping. And it begins to flow through the entire house. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Here's the religious answer to people today. We can't have nothing to do with you. You're sinful. Jesus said, I've come for the sin and the sins of people. I came to heal the, those who are sick. I came as a physician for those who are lost. I came for the lost sheep. I came to seek and to save what's lost. The, the, are you with me this morning? If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. And I love this, and I'm, I'm about done. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. <laughs> I love it. This, is, this wasn't no fortune cookie prophecy here. He says, Simon, I got a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. And then Jesus tells this story. He said, suppose a man, suppose there were two men. One man owed his his, his Lord, $100,000. And there was another man, and he owed his master $1,000. And he said, suppose the master says, I forgive you. Suppose the master says, I forgive you. He says, uh, Simon, which one of them do you think will love the most? And he says, well, I suppose the one who, will, who has been forgiven much will love much. Listen to me, church. Jesus said, well, you're right. It's true. The guy who owed a lot, got forgiven much, loved the most. But can I submit to you today that there's, there's not two people that owe the Lord any one more debt than the other. We were all lost. We were all lost. I'm going to, you know, Amy, I'm, I'm going to play a video here before you, you guys stay, we're, we're going to do, I'll need you for the altar call. So I wanted this song and like usual, I didn't have, I, I didn't know I was preaching this until it was too late to get somebody to practice up and sing this song. So Tina, can you play this song for me? Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.